Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from True Story FM. And I'm Pete Wright. I'm the Ring and Spring Man. <laughs> I hope that dies. After <laughs> it might, that might be the end of the bit. It might be. Yeah. There's no killing the Ring Spring Man. Just been exhausted just right now. So yeah. good. good. I'm glad good, we good. were here. Together. Well, today we're talking about Minute 53, which begins with a hello from Peggy and ends with Steve taking us through his dreams again. Joining us on the show again, we have uh, Travis Bow and Robin Burge. Hello, you two. Hello. Hello. Uh, this is we're coming in on the monkey. Let's start talking about uh, the monkey. We've got the drawing of this circus monkey on a high wire, a bunch of freaky ring and spring clowns <laughs> below him. He's in a Captain America <laughs> outfit with an umbrella. What do we think about this monkey? And uh, and the fact that Steve is an artist, which we should also talk about. Who would like to kick us off? Well, I did do a little look see at the trivia. And saw that this possibly could be referring to uh, comic books having Captain America drawing his own comic at one time. I don't know any details about this. I'm sure Travis knows all about it. But. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in uh, the late 70s, Roger Stern and John Byrne era Captain America comics, they came up with this idea that, I mean, it, it had already been established that Captain America or Steve had been an artist and he was – Trying to get work, um, you know, his personal life. He was trying to work as a commercial artist, which led him to the offices of Marvel Comics, which had been established in Marvel. <laughs> in Marvel Comics, it was there was a Marvel Comics, if that makes any sense. You know, they would take the exploits of these heroes and they would make stories about them. Very meta. And so, yes, yeah. <laughs> very meta. Yeah. So Steve goes to the offices at, at Marvel and he gets a job writing or at writing and drawing, or I think at least drawing for sure. The uh, Captain America comics so. <laughs> back in the days where they're just sitting around at Marvel and somebody takes the red pill and everybody gets high and they decide to burn the place down. <laughs> Well, what I think is funny about it is, or interesting about it is that there there was this idea of Steve, you know, as he uh, got the super soldier serum, that it really kind of enhances all of his abilities. And I like the fact that one of them is art and that he's he's a great artist now. And also, I can't help but think that there's like a little nod to hippie Steve that we have in yeah. the 70s uh, TV <laughs> oh, movies, yeah. because that's his thing. He just wants to hang out on the beach and draw. He just wants to draw. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's funny that, like, just hearing you say that the super soldier serum enhances all his abilities, and he's uh, including art, and what we see is a pencil sketch of a monkey (laughs) on a unicycle. Yeah, I guess it's enhanced. We we all start somewhere. (laughs) Those are his feelings, man. It's a great metaphor, though. Again, he's using his powers for the wrong thing. Like, it should be... Is it it a metaphor when the next line is she says he's a... Or he says he's a dancing monkey? Like, I think he... I think it's a little more literal. But what I love is on the facing page, there is some sort of... uh, There's a train and some writing that I can't make out and Italy, the boot of Italy, and it feels like he's also documenting some war plans. And and maybe we're focusing too much on the dancing monkey and not, oh my God, this is also the war machine. This is the secret Easter egg of the war machine. <laughs> 
we didn't know that the super soldier serum actually gives him some sort of psychic or, or, or future powers because on that page, it's where he meets Bucky and where he loses Bucky all on the same picture. <laughs> all on the same page. <laughs> yeah. right. If you look very closely, you can see somebody falling down into Italy. And there goes his arm as well. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, did, could, did any of you have a good enough uh, image of that to read the text? I tried on every screen I could, and I could not, even on going on to Disney Plus on my television, and I still could not make out the text that's written under that train. No, that's that's a bummer. I'm very curious what it says, because it looks like maybe I was like, is it a quote? Because it almost looks like it's that, you know, hyphen somebody's name, like at the very bottom. But I don't know. I couldn't figure out what it was. I think I think I see the word Simon. I'm going to go. I'm going to lean in on Simon. Joe Simon. Brand Army of Simon. The Army of Simon. (laughs) (laughs) No. Simon the monkey. Simon. Simon Simon the monkey. monkey. This is Simon. The monkey. Okay, so this is a whole story and that he's writing. Cannon. It's a children's book <laughs> yeah. about the adventures of Simon go. the monkey journeying on a circus train across Italy. Yeah. Um, makes sense. It writes itself. It does. Totally it writes does. itself. Something I learned today, I was trying to find whose hand was initially sketching, and it's probably Chris Evans. You know, someone else drew this, but I was trying to find out who drew the monkey and, and, and these pages. I couldn't find anything, but I did find out that in Civil War, spoilers for Civil War, this page with the monkey is framed and it's in Steve's, like his room. Yeah. Um, you can see it in Civil War when he's, he's watching the, some of the footage about the attack on the UN, like, you know, thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, I had no idea. So it's pretty yeah, cool. framed on his desk. It is a very cool little. Uh, nod. It it is interesting that he somehow managed to keep track of this all that time. <laughs> you know, I imagine it went into that someone like Peggy would have gathered up all of his. Well, I guess this. I don't know. Now I'm second guessing that, but could have been the aide and Senator Brandt kind of collecting all of his things. So that maybe it was his USO stuff, and so he could just go. Get yeah, it. yeah. I'll, I buy that. He I'll stole that. that from the Smithsonian as well. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Well, we're here with the monkey and Travis, I know like when we were looking at minutes, like this was, this was the specific minute that you were like, I want to talk about the, the minutes with the, the monkey. So what was it about this minute that drew you, uh, to want to talk about (laughs) drew? I get it. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it. Um, you know, first time seeing this movie, and just the simple inclusion of Steve just doodling, sketching, it, it told me that that they did their homework. They knew who Steve Rogers was. They knew that he was an artist. And that goes back, you know, to the, the early comics. I mean, just I love that detail, you know, him just sketching in his downtime. And it reminded me. And and sorry, I'm breaking your your timeline. I'm going to jump to my favorite Captain America moment because it ties into this. It's a moment from Avenging Spider-Man number five from 2012. And they're sitting around and they're going through some old comics that they found. It's something kind of making fun of the whole Liberty. It's called Liberty Bonds, actually. <laughs> uh, very, you know, on the nose. And it's this star-spangled type hero who's just, you know, shucking 
Liberty Bonds, just like he kind of was in this movie. And they're all kind of razzing Steve about it. And it was a book that Steve himself, you know, wrote and drew. So kind of tying back to that whole idea. And Spider-Man goes up to Steve and says, you know, how come you put the pencil down? And it's this gorgeous two-page spread by uh, Lionel Francis Yu. And he just draws like some of the big moments uh, that we all know of Captain America. You know, it's uh, him punching out Hitler. It's it's him on the experimental rocket that he ultimately causes him to go into the ice. You know, just just imagery of, of war. His his simple response to Spider-Man of why he stopped drawing over all this imagery is, oh, you know, stuff. Mm. And it, it's just this humble response. It's, it's just so simple, but I, it's, it's my favorite Captain America moment. For me, it ties into this. Just seeing Steve draw is, is big for me. That's an interesting moment because it also kind of speaks to, uh, like PTSD and things that, you know, people in, in war go through and things they see and stuff like that. And you don't hear about that often with superheroes. I know we will actually a little bit with, with Tony. Uh, coming up but but there is an idea of that with captain america that we've never really explored and so it's it's actually interesting that they they did explore that in the comics so that's that's a great moment yeah that's lovely and yeah i think that this there is something with that here of this this person who is trying to get a handle on what he is because i i think it was it was it was actually interesting watching steve over the over the montage and seeing him, like, he starts smiling, he kind of gets into it. But there's always something behind his smile that says, you know, you know, I'm enjoying this, but it's not what I want to be doing. Like, there's always that yeah. read with him. And I find that to be, um, uh, you know, well-performed by uh, Chris Evans. And it works well for the character. I, I really enjoy it. Now, I have a question for all of you about this as far as Peggy is concerned. So she's here unofficially. Why do you think Peggy is here? Why do you think she came? Uh, to move the story forward. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to lean because on. Because the plot said yeah, so. Narrative utility. I don't know. Because it's too early for any S.H.I.E.L.D. business, if I recall. Because that hasn't been established right, yet, no, I don't no. think. It's still SSR. In all seriousness, right. though, like she has some allegiance to the super soldier program, and we also know she's crushing on him by this point. And so, like, there is some part of her. One, she has the the freedom and the agency to be able to kind of go where she wants because she's not an official U.S. officer. Like, she's kind of doing her own thing. So, off the book, she gets on a plane. She goes to check on her prize relationship, this thing that she helped create. I think it's okay for her to sit down and say, hey, you know what? You were made for more than this. And I'm going to go ahead and jumpstart that for you. Because I, I believe you are more than the monkey. Even if you feel like you're kind of stuck in this role. I, I don't know. I, w I was thinking uh, that maybe she was... Uh like the Maria Hill to uh, Colonel Phillips, Nick Fury. <laughs> like, like I just thought they they kind of stuck together, you know? I get that. Yeah. And that Phillips is here because of the, you know, so much of the, so many soldiers being lost. I don't, I don't know. I'm not even sure why Phillips is here. Really? <laughs> Was he commanding that? Well, we'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll come, him. we'll talk about him yeah, tomorrow yeah, so. and figure out like what, the, what the heck is he doing here? But yeah, 
for her, I was just, it is strange because it's like she says, you know, officially I'm not here at all, which sounds, it actually, it's not even like I'm not here. I, I'm here unofficially, like sounds different than officially I'm not here at all. It almost sounds like, you know, you know, it, it is written that I am not here. Like the, yeah. it's, it's interesting the way that she words that. But I did find it odd. I'm like, so, I mean, is she just coming to cheer him up? Is there like an SSR angle that she's looking at doing? Like, I mean, this conversation that she has with him and we get a portion of it here. I mean, she's looking at him and what he's doing. And I do think there is an element of her knowing that there is more that Steve can be doing and should be doing. And he only sees the two options, the lab rat or the dancing monkey. And uh, so I, I don't know. I guess I'm curious about that because it's like, what is she expecting of him at this point as she says that? Right. That's that's what I noted. And especially I've always seen this scene and wondered what her motives are here, you know, pointing out that there is something else that he could be doing. But I don't know what she's thinking is the third option. I don't think she's thinking you could be a super soldier and go behind enemy lines and rescue people. I don't know that she's made that leap yet. He's going to, but yeah. here's a question though. Uh, Travis, like, have you made that leap as an audience member? Yeah. I mean, I, I expect him to get into the fray. Yeah. I mean, just because it's a superhero movie, but I, for, for me, that moment when I realized just how stupid the U.S. military is, is during the montage <laughs> a minute ago when he's holding up the the motorcycle over his head. We know he's a super soldier. And now for me as an audience member, I'm making that connection that he is he is so much more and he is absolutely being misused. And I'm waiting for the movie to catch up. And I'm saying, you know, like writ large, that's that's the kind of emotional journey I'm on. And now here we are two minutes later and we get her coming in and giving me the opportunity to hear that play out. Right. I almost feel like I I, I feel a little bad for Steve here because I'm just like, did he have a choice? Like, did was any of this his choice? Like, he's just like, now he's being used for this now and he's kind of learned to deal with it. Yeah, because he was rejected by Colonel Phillips. He he wanted nothing to do with him. He wanted a, a battalion of Hodges. And, yeah, Phillips didn't want him to come with him, I guess. And, yeah, so Brant scooped him up. Yeah, I, I don't know that Steve had any other options at, at the time. Right. Well, and that, it speaks to the program because, I mean, you know, he signed up to do this. He, he you know, said with Erskine, yes, I, I'll take that chance. And I will give my body over to science so you can experiment on me and, you know, turn me into your super soldier. But, yeah, it's like uh, Erskine's dead. But and as far as we know, the program was dead and it was either. I mean, the only options we heard were the lab rat or the dancing monkey. So it, it does strike me as a strange thing. Like, is she coming in to kind of push him to uh, to kind of like break you know, break out and do something that he's not supposed to do, um, which, of course, he will do. But I I don't know. I guess it's, it does seem strange because it doesn't seem like mm-hmm. that's her intention. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, it seems like I mean, I know, Pete, I think you were kind of joking about she's here because of the plot. But it yeah. really comes across that she's here because we need to motivate him to, you know, she'll say the, the 107th, you know, next minute. And that's going to spur him on but, you know okay but here's 
you know, I, I think it has to be just they needed to get Steve and Peggy together. They're not in the field of battle. We know that because uh, the the way that the world the world war two uh, was was battled, the women were not out on the field fighting. So we need to have moments of Steve and Peggy together, and starts feeling very scripted sure. because. That all could have been handled by Steve sitting there drawing his monkey, feeling sullen, and that medical vehicle drives in, and he asks somebody, "Oh, who are those? Oh, they're they're from the hundred seventh. You know, they just got uh, they just came in." And he freaks out and goes and runs and talks to Phillips and finds out what's going on. Like the whole thing could have been written without Peggy here. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah. why? You know, to your point, we have an opportunity to get him and Peggy back together. She is unofficial. She's such an incredible utility player. Like she's a queen on the chessboard. You can do anything with her mm-hmm. in the script because she's not a, an official of the U.S. military and find it believable. And they, I still contend that she's here unofficially gives us permission to believe that maybe she does want to see him go to work. Right. Maybe she doesn't mind pushing him in a direction to do something himself off the books. I think that's I think that's OK for her to be a little bit insidious about about this. I kind of like that idea because we know that she's going to be, go on to a life that involves espionage. And, yeah, maybe there's a part of her that it's like I, I could use him as a weapon, as you know, and not in a cruel way but yeah i could see her thinking yeah he is a valuable asset he can do things you know that no one else can so yeah maybe i can urge him yeah i kind of like that yeah and i guess to that end she is the only person who still is the voice of erskine right right like we've got phillips military brant uh you know making money and uh selling war bonds and she is like super soldier program. Remember this super soldier program that we have? Let's use him as a super soldier. And so I guess to that end, yeah, she she is thinking in the terms of how Erskine would be thinking of like, let's put this guy to use in the best way possible, as opposed to these other ways that aren't using him to the best of his abilities. Yeah, it's funny. As you were saying that it made me remember the scene in, in Iron Man, you know, where he remembers Golmira which like triggers something because he remembered Yinsen, you know, coming from there. And like, as he's watching this hor- horrific news program, they mentioned Gomira has been, you know, just devastated. Like that's kind of what spurs him on to, to get into the, that fight. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. It's, it's an interesting conversation. We're going to have a lot more of this conversation uh, tomorrow as they kind of wrap it up. Um, but it, I just, I, I, I wanted to start this one off with this direction that we have coming in with Peggy unofficially popping in, uh, at random, it seems, uh, at this moment when Steve needs her the most. So I guess it just, you know, in the, in the realm of plot contrivances, it definitely feels that way. Uh, but it still works. We love Steve and Peggy. And so I, I guess it's all Her good. Star spangled crossed lovers. <laughs> star- oh. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you're back in Pete's favor with that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Where where do you two stand on the Steve and Peggy romance? Do you buy into it or do you find that uh it doesn't quite play that well? Oh, come on. I mean, I've seen all the Marvel I've swooned. Uh, <laughs> I'm all about Steve and Peggy. <laughs> yeah, she is so charming in this movie. Uh yeah, she she just she's incredible. It's unfortunate that there is a time jump with with Steve. There kind of has to be, and, and unfortunately, then you 
you don't get these two, you know, having that much uh, screen time together. But I mean, it major spoilers for Endgame. I I cry every time that movie ends when he, you know, it ends with him and and Peggy, and I think that's incredible. Yeah, right, absolutely. It's funny though how little time they really spent together. <laughs> like they they yeah. had a week at Camp Lehigh, <laughs> and, and then, that whole montage was sixteen hours again. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't there; she was in London. I know, but she, that's what I mean. Like she kept yeah. they they didn't miss a lot of time apart during montage to, period. Like it was fine. I I do wonder. Um, we will find out that there are, are a couple British, uh, you know, camps or or you know holds along the line. And I wonder if she was at one of those or if she came down from London uh, to, to visit with Steve. I wonder how far she had to travel. Because hmm. I don't know if we'll ever really figure that out. But um, Well, I don't know if I have anything else for this particular minute. Do either of you have anything? I love the, the her mentioning or him talking about that the, the bond sales take a bump every town I visit. And I love that she calls him out like, is that Senator Brandt speaking? And and. He's even saying it, I think, trying to convince himself because he's down right now. He's depressed. So he's trying to say the words to make himself feel good about what he's doing. But there's no conviction behind it. Yeah, he he hates himself. That's why he's drawing himself as a monkey holding an umbrella in a unicycle. <laughs> That's yeah. basically he's drawing himself. I had some uh, uh, fun facts about war bonds. Yeah. If you who doesn't <laughs> have time for that? <laughs> well, uh, I just looked up like celebrities uh, and uh, like who sold the most war bonds. And uh, from my internet <laughs> research that only I only devoted like five minutes to uh, Dorothy Lamour who is known for the road Two movies. Uh, apparently she was known as the bond bombshell because she sold Ooh. some $300 million worth of uh, war bonds uh, around the country. Ooh. They said, wow. Also uh, Greer Garson, Betty Davis and Rita Hayworth uh, did seven tours in more than 300 cities. And then they also had another big fundraiser was the stars over America, which they somehow talked 337 stars. Were that many in Hollywood back then? I have no idea, but apparently 337 <laughs> stars helped sell $838 million worth of war bonds together uh, during that campaign. So, wow. Ugh, lots hey. of money. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, it's interesting. You go back and you look at old interviews and stuff with uh, with celebrities, and they were all. I mean, regardless of their politics, they were all very supportive of the of the troops, and they were all very very much promoting that. And that is is something that was very cool. Andy, I wonder if you could whip up a spreadsheet of adjusted USO performance per finished show, and give us in today's <laughs> dollars. How much each performance made? Do you think you could whip that up? I mean, oh yeah, as a spreadsheet hound yourself. <laughs> Take me, you know, me, a couple, me a couple hours. <laughs> yeah, the yeah uh, on our on the next real show, I do an adjusted profit per finished minute for all the all the movies okay. that we talk about. That's what Pete is talking about there. Just trying to get a sense of stuff. Well, it all started because of Tangled, because and I can't remember how I started. I landed on that, but looking at like how much money that movie cost and how much money it made versus like how long it was because it was so short <laughs> as compared to like something like avatar uh it actually you know when you adjust it per finished minute it i think it ended up doing better than avatar i think that was i think that was our whole conversation <laughs> yeah and now apfum is a is a legendary hollywood <laughs> metric 
Yeah, we're we're still working on convincing them that. But yeah, yes. I mean they don't know it yet. <laughs> they don't know it yet, but it's coming. But they will. They will. Just you yeah. wait, Hollywood. We have a direct line to Comscore. We're actually working Comscore. <laughs> Make them integrate that into their reports. All right. Well, uh, Robin, Travis, why don't you remind everybody about the shows you're working on and uh, where people can find those wonderful shows? I did uh, Watchmen Minute a couple of years ago. So if you're looking for a, another uh, Movies by Minutes project to listen to, you can find the completed 186 episodes of the director's cut of Zack Snyder's Watchmen. They're all just waiting for you. Excellent. Ooh, we're doing old plugs. I like this. Uh, I also did Fright Night Minute, where I talked about the 1985 movie Fright Night. And I even had Chris Sarandon himself on the podcast. It was amazing. Please go back and check that out. Ooh. Uh, you are so cool, Brewster. <laughs> I really felt cool that time. <laughs> oh. Ralph Macchio doesn't know me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. He's just I, I sent him a message. He sent yeah. me back that Mariah Carey gif. I don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have links for their projects in the show notes. Uh, check those out. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow for Minute 54. Pete, thanks as always. Just dreaming of the front lines, Andy. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.